Hello and welcome to the official Building Your Business podcast series presented by Archer Gallon Redshaw Chartered Accountants. Our firm has launched this podcast series to help simplify some of the complex challenges that occur when owning and operating a business and to assist business owners to better understand the inner workings of their organisation, regardless of which industry you operate within. Every month, we'll be releasing a new episode featuring special guests from industry, as well as Archie Gallen Redshaw directors Ian Walker, Smilian Jankovic, and Valda Glenn, to provide their commentary on a variety of business management topics, alongside expertise surrounding accounting, taxation, and business strategy. Welcome to our podcast series, Building Your Business. My name is Chris Lewis, and you're listening to the Building Your Business podcast presented by Archie Gallen Redshaw Chartered Accountants. Really excited to be today joined by Dominic Doan, Associate at McLaughlin and Associates, alongside Ian Walker, AGR Executive Chairman. So, welcome, Chris. gentlemen. Thanks, Chris. Welcome, Chris. Really great to, to have you both here today. It's going to be a discussion around commercial leasing um, this afternoon. So uh, really would be keen to hear your thoughts on both the, the legal and the accounting um, considerations involved in commercial leasing. Um, and then also, I guess, specifically giving um, some insight to the, the corporate um, leases um, and office leases, as well as retail and industrial um, leasing alongside that. So... Um, hopefully together uh, each will provide practical insights into commercial leasing arrangements, um, especially for, for business owners and, and new entrepreneurs as well, um, and hopefully get um, some really key insights and information out of that. So once again, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Dominic, for coming in. Um, I suppose, where do we start? There's probably many, many leases out there. I suppose it's probably a good um, starting point is around Actually, what is a lease? Why we need one? How they form between a landlord and a tenant? Yeah, it's probably course. a good starting yeah. point, uh, and then we can move into all the other additional stuff that goes along with being a tenant, yeah, and a landlord too, because we got um, clients on both sides of the fence. So, um, I suppose I will leave it up to you to explain to everyone what a lease is. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Chris. And I guess before I start, McLaughlin Associates. Um, We've been around for a while now, um, nearing our 35th year in business this year, which is really exciting. Um, we like to think of ourselves as a one-stop legal shop, so assisting individuals, families, small medium enterprises across a broad range of areas of law, um, commercial, property, family, wills and estates and litigation. Uh, my area of focus at the practice is commercial and property law, so a key focus on the sale of businesses, acquisition of businesses, um, manufacturing, logistics, retail, um, and specifically commercial leasing. So it's exciting speaking to you both today mm. about leases. And as you mentioned, Ian, there's a lot of leases out there, or a lot of types of leases out mm. there. Um, and I guess basically a lease is an agreement between a uh, landlord and tenant um, governing the terms of the use of the premises. Uh, and commonly that's evidenced in uh, an agreement or a lease called a commercial lease or Form 7. So a Form 7 uh, is a titles document with list out all the standard terms of lease, your terms, your options, the, the actual amount you're paying, um, with a, a big schedule, and that schedule will uh, contain the obligations of both parties. And so that's the common one you have. You've got retail leases, um, which fall under the Retail Shop Leases Act. Those leases apply to 
businesses that operate within a shopping centre or a premises that is used for the retail sale of goods. Um, and so that type of lease uh, uses a um, commercial lease with additional uh, obligations and documents under the legislation. So you get additional disclosure documents uh, and other documents you need to provide, such as a legal advice report. And then you've got other agreements, such as a commercial tenancy agreement, which if you're simpler leases, most agents will use those leases uh, for anything under three years, um, so a shorter-term lease. And then you've got licence agreements. So, you know, all these other types of agreements fall under the leasing um, definition. Uh, and depending on the use of the premises as well um, and the, the type of the premises would dictate the form of that uh, lease agreement. So then I suppose um, <clears throat> just adding to what you're talking about, uh, the retail one for a few of our clients is probably uh, a tough one because there's turnover, rent and mm. all those sort of obligations, whereas the commercial and the industrial ones seem to be a bit simpler. Mm. Um, on the retail side, uh, what are, and it's quite common and also very prevalent in the last couple of years with COVID, that these leases may be a little bit uh, pointy in some respects with res- from from uh, the big commercial guys to the small mum and dad. What should our retail people look for um, in seeing whether or not some of these leases are good or bad and, and whether they should enter into them or they shouldn't be? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, Ian. Um, before you get into a lease, whether it's commercial or retail, um, you really need to consider the terms of that lease and what you sign yourself up to. Um, and we always tell our clients before they enter into a lease to get us involved at the start or before they sign the lease. And the reason for that is that we prompt them to ask themselves, um, you know, what is my business doing now? And what is my business planning on doing in the future? And I think if you've got that uh, mentality moving forward, um, your best uh, position to negotiate lease terms that are appropriate for your business now and into the future. So going back to your question, in terms of retail leasing, uh, it's a beast of its own. It's regulated, heavily regulated. There's legislation out there that puts obligations on landlords to provide disclosures to tenants seven days before they enter into a lease and vice versa. Tenants need to provide disclosures to landlords seven days before they enter into leases. And so those documents will outline things like outgoings, the estimate of outgoings, the term of the lease. Um, and, and on the tenant side of things, they need to disclose to the landlord that they've got experience in business. They can actually maintain this lease and whether or not this is the first lease they're entering into for, uh, for a retail lease or they've, re- uh, they've leased out five other retail leases before as a major um, retail tenant. So... The considerations that uh, tenants need to think about before entering into a retail lease include the term of the lease, how long it is, uh, the the amount as well, and the options as well. So, uh, you know, if you're a startup and say you're a fashion startup and you're leasing out a retail premises, it's probably not the best idea to rent out a premises for 10 years because you want to make sure that you've got the option to get out if business doesn't do well in, say, two or three years. And so it's prudent for a uh, prospective tenant to think about that, give themselves the option to, say, in three years, get out of the lease if it doesn't work out, or the option to extend that lease for a further term. And 
depending on your goals and what you want to do will depend on the structure of those options. But some of those things are the things you need to think about. Um, exclusive use is another one, making sure that you've got the right or the only right or the exclusive right to sell a particular product or do a particular thing in that centre. The last thing you want is three other guys next to you doing the same thing. Um, those are some of the considerations that we would put forward to the tenants or prospective uh, lessees before they enter into these type of leases. So then is there anything similar in the commercial office space and the industrial warehouse? Uh, I mean, I know that there's heavy use issues and, and environmental issues on the industrial side. Is there any similar sort of uh, you know, prickly parts that, that those sort of um, bricks and mortar style leases need to consider as well? Yeah, look, trade waste. Um, if you're using a lot of... Uh, your business creates a lot of waste, trade waste, whether it's oil, metal filings and offcuts and all that kind of stuff, making sure there's provision in the lease for uh, those... Uh, for, for the waste and how it's to be dealt with. So who's to pay for that waste? Um, is the landlord contributing to any of that? Uh, is it in a property that's shared with other tenants? Um, and so that's another thing. Uh, capital works or fit-out contributions by the landlord. So if you're leasing at a premises, uh, say a warehouse, and you need hoists, you need cranes, you need all that kind of stuff, and the landlord's providing you with an incentive, um, you need to understand that, yes, incentives are great, a lot of downsides of incentives as well. I mean, you need to really be careful about the wording of the terms of those incentives um, and also understanding what your rights are with respect to things like trade waste and the use of the premises. Um, permitted use for commercial leases is a big thing. Uh, you might go into a premises wanting to operate an engineering company, but you might want to offer other services. And if you don't get that right at the start, if you don't get the permitted use, uh, or if you don't create a broader, broad enough definition of the permitted use, you're leaving yourself out because you're losing out on the opportunity in the future to provide additional services, to sell additional items. So, yeah, some of the key things that should be considered. And Make good clauses and redecoration clauses. They're a big killer, yeah. real big killer. So... For the listeners out there that don't know what a make good clause is for a tenant, when you leave your tenancy um, or vacate your tenancy and there's a make good clause, what that essentially means is you need to return the premises back to its original state or sometimes better. And you really need to understand the terms of that clause because it can be very onerous and very dis disruptive to your business uh, when you leave the lease uh, to give you an example, a make good clause may require a tenant to rip up perfectly good flooring and replace it with new flooring. Um, look, those clauses are in leases, are in pro forma leases that landlords provide and it's up to your solicitor to interpret those clauses and provide you with the best advice and recommendation. We would always tell clients in those situations to reword those make good clauses because things like that like ripping up perfectly good flooring and replacing the flooring again, it's not necessary. Um, and we would reword those clauses in a sense to make sure that it must be fair wear and tear um, and that it's not necessary. So 
Back to your question, Anne, make good claws are a big killer, and I guess that leads to the second one, which is redecoration. If you're in a premises for, say, 10 or 20 years, the landlord may require a tenant to redecorate every five years. And what that means is you need to paint the whole place in a good quality paint every five years. You may have to replace the carpet. It depends what the terms of the lease are, but that can be very onerous and very disruptive as well to a business. Mm-hmm. So there are a few of the different types of leases, a few issues that, that people need to um, <clears throat> take into consideration. I suppose you touched on a... On a topic is as part of lease negotiations as well um just in, in your last commentary around incentives um they're everywhere they they are sort of now as common as as anything um percentages seem to be rising rent free periods seem to be getting a bit longer here and there depending on the length of the original leases i suppose what are Good lease incentives, what are bad lease incentives? Uh, does different industries have different rules of thumb? You know, is retail a little bit different to uh, commercial office where you might have 10 or 15 years of professional services versus, um, you know, a little fast food hairdresser or whatever it is that, that they might do the retail side. So when a tenant is sitting down looking at going into business or, or shifting from one type of building to another... What should they think about with respect to lease incentives? Hmm. Hmm. Good question, Ian. Lease incentives are great, um, but they can be a big burden on your business as well. And so the common incentives, both retail and commercial leasing, are things like rent abatement, rent reduction and fit-out contributions by the landlord. And so having an understanding of the terms of those incentives is imperative, um, but at the same time, understanding what your obligations are with respect to events of default or if you sell the business or if you assign your interest to another tenant. Um, Rent abatement or rent-free period uh, is a very common incentive, okay? So that means that the tenant is given essentially one to three months uh, rent-free period to get themselves up and running, um, to do their fit-out, to get everything ready before they actually pay money to the landlord. So that's a common one. Rent abate, uh, so rent reduction is when uh, the landlord allows a tenant to spread out their rental payments across the term in different proportions. So you may have, say, 40% of your rent payable initially and then a larger percentage of 60% payable at the, the, the end of the term. That gives tenants the flexibility if they're starting up in terms of cash flow um, to manage their payments a bit better. And then you've got probably the most common one, which is fit-out contributions, both retail and commercial leasing. Um, Landlord will uh, provide this incentive to tenants in order to attract them to the premises, okay? And so they'll give the tenant a budget or they'll agree to do a certain fit-out on different basis. So they may pay for the contribution themselves or they may pay for the contributions and also require the tenant to remove the contribution at the end as well. So when I say it's really important to read the terms of that contribution clause, it is really important because at the time it may seem great because you're getting this contribution. But in the event of default, there's always invariably some form of clawback clause in the lease that will allow the landlord to legally recoup their capital expenditure at the start. And so... A lot of attention needs to be paid towards these fit-out clauses um, uh, 
not only at the start but at the end. Um, and to answer that question as well, what are the events that would allow a landlord to, I guess, recoup their costs or what are the things they need to look out for as a tenant is those events of default. So assignment is a common one. When you uh, accept an incentive as a tenant, you want to make sure that if you assign your interest in the lease to, say, uh, a buyer of your business in the future, that you're not liable to pay back the incentive back to the landlord. Uh, another one is uh, default. A simple default, such as not paying your rent, would automatically render you liable to pay back that fit-out cost to the landlord. Um, and unless those terms are defined as unfair, then you have no way out. Um, and landlord may be forced, if they can't recoup from you, uh, the costs of that fit-out to rely on your guarantee or any deposits that have been paid. From an accounting point of view, Ian, um, what are some of the pros and cons that you see on um, incentives on sort of a day-to-day basis or you know, within the clients that you deal with <coughs> or situations think, you deal with? I think everything, every industry is different. They all have their, their little idiosyncrasies that um, can be one way or the other. I think startup versus more experienced is, is another one. I mean, there's, there's you know, accounting lease standards and stuff for the, for the big guys that, you know, you have to disclose both as assets and liabilities. But if we, if we have a, a discussion around SMEs, um, I think, you know, Dominic touched on it. Is it, is it better to have, you know, three to six months rent-free as you start up and, and, you know, on a three-year term or if you go five-year term, they might give you the first year free, things like that. You know, it certainly helps from a budget perspective, mm-hmm. um, especially if you don't have any callback clauses tucked in your lease, but that's why we get legal advice before we start. I think it's interesting... Um, I haven't seen too much of late is, is the, the smaller percentage with the bigger ones towards the end of. Um, you know, that seems to be more a sporting salary cap issue than uh, what we see in leases these days. But certainly, you know, it's a consideration for some people that are starting out. Um, you would just have to hope that from a projection cash flow perspective, you can pay the bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. towards the end so you know the the capex around your business might come into it the expansion plans might come into something along those lines so um certainly it's a it's an interesting one the the fit out one seems to be the what what we get most discussion around do you take the check mm. or do you get the landlord to do the fit out and, yeah. and i suppose it comes down to cost what type of fit out uh from a commercial arrangement you know is a fit out worth anything at the end of the lease anyway so is it better to take the cash and, and then do your own fit out? I mean, there's tax issues around that. It's income versus capex expenses. You know, you then look at your fit out. Is it better to lease the fit out and get deductions on the way through versus getting a loan from the bank and those sort of things? So they're the discussions that we have mainly with clients. And it's all cash flow related hmm. and length of time. Uh, and, and certainly the one that is interesting is the redecoration. Hmm. Because, you know, you see that a lot with um, restaurants and, and food outlets. That yeah. They've got to refresh the colours or, you know, suddenly the pink's a different shade of pink. And, right. you know, there's there's now more salad, so therefore you need more green and blue than there was the traditional wood style, you know, and, and the different white to a cream. So all that sort of um, consideration needs to be put in your, your business plans and your cash flow budget. So I think landlords 
these days with the lease incentives that we've seen post, I suppose, COVID is um, is they seem to uh, want to write a check. Mm-hmm. They seem to want to write a check rather than, than build the fit out. Now, that might have to do with the costs, you know, mm-hmm. who knows when we start this fit out to the end or, you know, it just gives the, the clients, the tenants a little bit of incentive to get things done a bit better because they've got some cash to actually do it rather than, um, you know, pay no rent for 12 months but still have to fork half a million bucks out for a mm-hmm. fit out. And, and restaurants are probably the same now. They're going, geez, am I going to do a million dollar fit out in this environment? So, you know, whereas do they keep it a lot simpler and, and put the money into food and, and wine lists? Yeah. Um, so they're interesting discussions. Um, I have been fortunate not to have uh, any clawback discussions, I must admit. So, you know, touch wood, that continues mm-hmm. for the clients mm-hmm. going forward. But, yeah, I think those clauses, you know, you spend a lot of time on those clauses. But the assignment's interesting. Yes. You know, what, what happens with the assignment? I mean, we see a lot of leases where... Um, you know, you have to have permission from the landlord yeah, that's to, to assign. I mean, do they want to be painful and say, okay, we're going to claw back yours and not give this guy the incentive if there's some time left on it? But in your experience, if I do have an assignment of lease, but I'm outside, say, a 12-month period of rent-free or my fit-out, mm. can they still be cranky and say, no, that was for you only, not this new bloke coming in yeah. who's got to redo it? Yeah. Look, I'm going to be a real lawyer in this situation, so I need to read the document before I tell you. Um, but look, you're right, Anne. The uh, incentive is given either in the lease itself or documented in the lease itself or an incentive deed, which is another document. And so depending on the terms of that document will depend when you uh, – or what you can actually do with that incentive, what your rights and obligations are with respect to that incentive and the landlord's rights. And so – with an assignment, uh, look, you're operating your business, you've been operating for a decade or so, and you plan to sell the business, and you haven't paid attention to the assignment clause, and the landlord's given you 10 years ago an incentive of, say, $100,000 for your fit-out, you could be really caught out because that incentive deed may actually say that the tenant must repay the landlord the full costs of the fit-out if the tenant assigns a lease. And so the mere fact that they're assigning the lease or proposing to assign the lease to another person would automatically activate that clause, requiring them to pay back that fit-out cost. And so you're stuck in a hard place because you either stick out the lease for the rest of the term to make sure you don't pay that fit-out or you lose on an opportunity to sell your business. Um, So a lot of mums and dads, a lot of family businesses need to pay particular attention to these clauses, especially if they're thinking about retirement, selling their businesses. These things are the type of things that should be addressed way before a lease is signed or at least um, before you think about retirement, selling your business. And and Ian touched, uh, I guess, on there a little bit about uh, the current um, environment that we're in and we're a couple of years on from the coronavirus and that's still obviously there in, in the background. And, and during that time, there was the, the government incentives, um, specifically the, uh, the mandatory, mandatory code of conduct sorry, um, surrounding commercial leases. Is there anything that's ongoing in that respect? Is there that still support still there or is there other forms of support in play for, for commercial leasing? That mandate, Chris, and that regulation <coughs> that was brought into place, that's, that's ended. 
Yep. It ended a while ago. And, I mean, it put a – it essentially implemented a process for landlords and tenants to have that discussion around fairer lease terms and mm-hmm. more proportionate lease terms. Um, it's no longer available. And so in terms of lease – not lease incentives, but any uh, further assistance for tenants, there's – not really any government assistance, and, mm-hmm. and it's really important to focus on the heads of agreement or the negotiate fair lease terms at the outset. Yep. Um, I mean, fortunately for us, we didn't experience or didn't have clients that were impacted by COVID-19, mm-hmm. okay? And so a lot of our clients, fortunately, the pandemic boosted their business, and so they didn't need to rely on these clauses to have that conversation with the landlord. But... There are a lot of businesses out there that that regulation and those principles helped. Um, it helped them reduce their rent, um, either defer that rent or waive waive that rent altogether, and it enabled that conversation. It allowed landlord and tenant to have that conversation under certain principles, whereas previously that conversation may have been a very difficult thing to broach. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a really good thing that they mandated those principles. Uh, but fortunately for us, we didn't see much effect, um, thankfully, for our businesses. Yeah, no, we had a few go through it, um, both tenant and, and landlord on both sides. And from the ones I got involved with, I think both parties actually did it quite well. Mm. I mean, there was some that, you know, speaking as a landlord, there was some that tried to think that, you know, 30% was really only 5% turnover reduction. But, you know, you, once you explain to people you know, the, the benefits of being up front and telling that your business is suffering. You know, landlords are very helpful in some respects and, you know, we saw others where they just didn't budge, yeah. unfortunately, and then, and, you know, caused issues amongst themselves and their tenants. So That's right. I think I think it was good. Um, you know, we had ones that had their deferment for up to two years, CPI wasn't added to their, their leases, and it all helped. Builds our relationships. I'm, you know, I would assume come end of lease term, They'll probably resign, negotiate again, and keep going because the goodwill, the goodwill is there. That's so, right. um, I think it helped in in that respect, and and that probably leads into, you know, an interesting question around extension of leases, mainly mainly options. Now we all have seen options included, and we touched on it at the start of the lease. So you might have a three year lease, and then two by threes thereafter. Um, what should tenants and landlords? you know, keep in the back of their minds when they're, they're writing these leases or putting the, the, the heads of agreements around what they want to put in their leases with respect to options um, is part one. And then two, from a tenant perspective or a land, and a landlord perspective, um, the pros and cons of electing hmm. then to invoke the option. Hmm. Well, I guess if we start on the landlord's, landlord's perspective, as a landlord, you want a tenant in there as long as possible. Bar your intentions for the property. So as a landlord, if you're intending to sell the property in a couple of years, obviously you don't want to lease out the premises for 10-year term. Mm. For a tenant, you need to think about your business. And I know I keep repeating this, but it's crucially important. Um, You need to think about your business now moving into the future. And so if your business solely relies on a physical premises, and this physical premises is perfect for your business and will cater for the growth of your business for the next five years, then it's prudent for you to lease out the premises for five years or ten years. Mm -hmm. With respect to options, 
if you think that you'll extend the lease for another five years, ten years, then it's a good idea to make sure that you lock in that security of tenure at that premises by electing options. And so depending on your future plans for the business in that particular area or that particular premises will depend on the type of structure that you put around the options. Um, common um, forms of those options include an extra three years, two by three years, two by six years. It just depends on, um, I guess, your risk appetite as well. Um, and so if you have a 10-year lease, you may want to extend that for another 10 years, which is a common one, and another 10 years. For a startup, you probably want to aim for a shorter term lease, such as three years, and give yourself two, three-year options. So if business does really well, you can elect the option after the initial term for another three years, and after that three-year term, three year term, another three years. And so going back to your, your second question about how you elect those options, the terms of the lease will explicitly outline how you can elect those options. So generally it'll be uh, not more than six months or less than three months before the end of the term you elect the lease um, and you need to provide written notice to the landlord. Unfortunately, far too many tenants forget that which means you've lost your opportunity to renew your lease for another three years or for whatever term that you're renewing the lease for. So it's really important and a, a really practical step to make sure that you diarise these dates. Mm-hmm. Make, make sure you have someone accountable at your business to, to be on top of all these things. And then <clears throat> what should the landlord do to protect themselves? Like, you know, the tenant might want to continue. The landlord might not want that to happen. Hmm. Um, is there built-in mechanisms that they can do to protect themselves? As a landlord, if you give a tenant the opportunity to extend the lease for a further term, then you've got caveats in the lease as well. And so if the tenant's been in breach of a term of the lease, then invariably in the terms of the lease, if we're acting for a landlord, that tenant can't technically renew the lease because they've been in breach of a term of lease. So it's around the structure of that lease and how you draft that um, that particular clause. If that option clause, which outlines how you elect the option, stipulates that the tenant must not be in breach of the lease, that will give the landlord the option to not accept, automatically not accept that option because the tenant has been in breach of the lease. In terms of mechanisms, that's probably the main mechanism that you would put in place. Um, but obviously if the tenant has performed as per the lease, fulfil their obligations, and there's not much the landlord can do with respect to not accepting that option because it is an agreed term of the lease. So really then the only way a landlord can exit the tenant is is it's come to the end of the lease and there's no more options left? That's right. Okay. Good. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, everyone needs protection, especially for their business, but both ways is, is always pretty handy to have. So then... Another form of protection, I suppose, that we look at, um, especially when we're talking to to clients and tenants, and, and we've touched on it with the length of leases, is, is personal or director guarantees that are sometimes asked mm-hmm. um, by the landlord or for the tenant. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you step us through some pros and cons of, of those guarantee clauses that may be tucked somewhere in page 60 of a 63-page lease um, where no one gets to read because they're so tired. Um, 
so the tenant doesn't keep paying for something they may not require. You're right, Anne. It's invariably always on page 63 of a 63-page lease. Um, personal guarantees are a big no-no for us. Uh, we always advocate that clients take them out if possible. And I know in most instances that's not agreeable by landlords or lessors. And so personal guarantees need to be taken very seriously because they make individuals, directors or sole business owners personally liable for any breaches of the lessee or the tenant, which is which could be an individual or a company themselves. And so what that invariably means is if you're in breach of the lease or the company's in breach of the lease, the landlord will have the option to pursue you individually. Um, and depending on the structure of your, your business, your company, you can probably talk more about that, Ian, will depend on how your risk is mitigated. Um, so, I mean, if you've got a sole trader, for instance, entering into a lease agreement, we definitely wouldn't suggest they sign any personal guarantees. Um, that wouldn't be the case anyway. Um, it, it's more so applicable to those entities signing a lease or a company, for instance, signing a lease. They'd want directors to sign off on a guarantee. Uh, so there's no way out? They, they have to accept or, or, I mean, in some cases you see the, the bank guarantee that's provided for three months or six months of the rent. Is that, is that really the option that, that you advise clients to take rather than personal well, guarantee? As a landlord, you, they would have the right to, to call on that bank guarantee yeah. in default. So that's probably more protection for the tenant, though, if they're only giving up six months rather than three years. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Good. Excellent. So you touched on the company versus the sole trader. I mean, if most of our, our clients um, are structured in an entity-style arrangement. We have... Um, few sole traders but mainly entity structures what what should abc proprietary limited look out for as an entity when they're entering into a lease with a with a lease or a landlord um and is it worthwhile considering that you know maybe there's separate entities an operating entity and then a property entity that enters into the lease with the third party and then internally they have an arrangement between themselves? Is there protection mechanisms there that you look for when you're advising clients? When you look through a lease, um, you need to understand that the entities that enter into the lease are the entities that are responsible to each other. And so you've got ABC, PTY, LTD, leasing from AB, PTY, LTD. That's the agreements between both parties there. And so when we're looking through a lease, we want to make sure the obligations of both parties are to each other only. And there's no provision in the lease that extends that liability outside that, that, that relationship. Um, and so those are the type of things we would look out for, uh, primarily when we're reviewing leases. Mm -hmm. So in certain circumstances, do you uh, advise clients to keep an operating entity separate from the entity that enters into leases? We don't discuss... Any entity structures with clients, and um, we always refer that on to the likes of yourself, Ian. Um, in terms of the entity or any financial implications or tax implications, that's something we don't handle. Um, we do refer that on to their, their. We have seen in the past where the two dollar company is the is the tenant, yet that operating entity is uh, tucked in, actually in there doing all the work, and they believe it's protects them from uh, certain lease obligation so I was just 
seeing if you'd come across that sort of arrangement. Uh, no, no, we haven't, fortunately, come across <laughs> that situation. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's an interesting one. But anyway, we, we'll put it to the test. So is there anything that um, I suppose, you know, we've talked about retail and, and entity structures, franchisors, franchisees, shopping centre owners, all that sort of stuff, is there special considerations that franchisees need to, to be aware of when they're entering into um, lease arrangements or, or would they then fall under the franchising yeah, franchisees, I mean, that's also another beast of its own. When you're a franchisee looking for a premises, the franchisor will have its own terms, how you need to enter into a lease. And so before you enter into a lease as a franchisee, you need to make sure that, A, you're taking into consideration that franchise agreement and you understand the terms of that agreement and the type of property that you have to lease out to. So... Usually with these franchise agreements, the franchisor will stipulate the type of property and stipulate that the franchisor ultimately has the say on the premises and location. Um, so, yeah, I guess to answer your question, in terms of a franchisee, the main thing you need to consider is that your franchise agreement lines up with the particular type of property that you're leasing. Now, that's good advice. Um, I suppose, too, with, with post-COVID, now that... that Hopefully, we're getting to to a stage where everyone's living, or they're moving to the other the other end. Um, is there anything coming out uh, through through the the legal channels and, and your networks that um, you know there's different type of leases that may potentially be coming? You know, with respect to shopping centres and retail leases, turnover rent. You know, we, we've seen in some media reports where some of the the landlords may want turnover rent to include online sales as well as what's physically made in the shops is there any commentary that, that you've come across that may suggest that that may be more of a permanent arrangement rather than pie in the sky discussions oh, look you've always got these ideas coming out but you've got to think it from a practical sense um, a lot of businesses now are operating online and so that's sometimes their main channel of revenue um, so in that respect i think those type of ideas are appropriate because revenue is now mostly driven online for most of these businesses um i mean a lot of businesses at the moment are restructuring their leases or their leases lease agreements to ensure that they are future proofing their offices and making sure that the idea of the office as an anchor point um is uh, is relevant uh, and, and moving forward that they do have a physical uh, if you're in a business that requires a physical premises that you you make sure that you have a lease that will provide that option to the business and so a lot of uh, our clients at least landlords or tenants or tenants predominantly are making sure that they are renewing their leases and are making amendments for further options in shorter increments rather than longer increments okay so you so say the, the five year and the ten years are coming back to two and threes? Yeah, two, two by three years or multiple um, of threes are, are a common, common option. Okay. Touching on that, is there, from your experience, a, a sweet spot where, where people will enter into a lease, a three-year lease or a five-year lease, and, and the landlord does the same, and then it seems a good time to sell because it's right at the start of a renewed lease? Is there those sort of discussions that you've come across of late as well? With I have a tenant. Like, I got a tenant. Yeah. No, I'm a landlord. I have a tenant. The tenant's up for renewal. Yeah. Uh, got six months left on their lease. Yeah. As an example, um, 
not the best time to sell. Uh huh. I got I've got potentially a smaller market to sell to because I've only got a, a tenant now that could not be there in six months' time. Right. So I'm the landlord. I talk to the tenant. The tenant renews for three years, and then suddenly I'm up for sale because now I've got a locked-in tenant for three years. Someone can do their due deal around cash flow and, and cap rates and away I go. So I'm just wondering with, with the reduction in these lease terms that you spoke about from five to seven back to twos and threes, mm-hmm. when's going to, have you had any change in, in advice or commentary around when then is the best time for me to put up the for sale sign on my brick and mortar? Yeah. So as a landlord, yeah, um, I, I don't know about your particular lease, but it's very common for a landlord to put in a lease sale clauses or clauses that will enable them to sell the property. Um, now, you may have given your tenant an option to purchase the property um, and you have to give them the first right if that's the case. But in terms of selling the property, if you renew the lease for another three terms, you'll, you're locked in for that three term. And so if they elect to uh, take on that further option, I mean, you've got to honour that, that election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's all right. I'm just, I get a better cap rate if I'm at the start of a lease than at the end of one. So mm. it, I'm just seeing if there was any any commentary from your clients around, well, I've just renewed my lease now, but it's now two years less. I'm not going to get that same security. I mean, I haven't seen banks yet. I haven't had yarns, mm-hmm. chats to bank managers to mm-hmm. see whether or not they're getting nervous now that five and seven years now down to two and three yeah. where they want to do with their interest only periods what are the, the the repayment terms now look like are they going to put in risk premiums um all that to all that to come through from this post-covid environment um interesting and i suppose too um just touching on some interesting stuff um we've all seen in the paper the unfortunate demise of the Toonville shopping center doable no doubt under the the the, the specific leases inside that um mm. but i mean what should now Tenants be wary of with respect to um, those sort of incidents happening, where suddenly there is no lease termination of leases for. Yeah, as a tenant, you always have to do your due diligence on the property that you're leasing, and in leases, there's always going to be a flood damage instruction clause. Those clauses will allow a landlord to, depending on the terms of that clause, terminate the lease because it's just not feasible to reinstate the premises and unfortunately and depending on the terms of that clause the landlord can kick the tenant out with appropriate notices um, and with retail shop leases there are legislated notices as well um, and so demolition uh, is another one as well so if they have to demolish the premises then they have to give written notice to the tenant to do that and, and it's within their rights as long as it's in the, the lease it's within the landlord's rights to do that so it is really important that if you're leasing a premises within a risk area that's prone to flooding prone to weather incidents uh, that you that you check that clause make sure that you accept that risk and if you enter into that lease understand that you may be kicked out in six months or a year or if this weather event happens again and the property floods again, that you might be out of this premise in a year's time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So is there any any other little curly clauses like that that you've come across that, um, you know, tenants should be wary of? Oh, look, relocation demolition is definitely probably the most relevant one in light of the Toonville Shopping Centre incident. Um, permitted use, and we touched on that earlier before, but 
That's imperative. We've got a lot of businesses at the moment, a lot of our clients evolving and adding other branches to their business, selling other items. And a lot of thought needs to be put into the permitted use or putting out everything on the table that you may do now and into the future, into the permitted use. And that all comes back to that heads of agreement. Mm. You really need to have a good thing about your business now moving into the future mm-hmm. when you're drafting or putting together that heads of agreement. And we always advocate to clients to speak to their accountant, speak to their lawyer, or speak to us before you sign that heads of agreement. Once you sign that heads of agreement, the lease will be drawn up based on the heads of agreement. So it's going to be very hard to change any of those terms once that heads of agreement signed. So it's imperative to get everything down on that heads of agreement that you that you want in your lease. So the term, the option, the permitted use, um, any special conditions, and making sure you look for things such as capital replacement. Who's responsible for air, the air conditioners? Um, they can become very costly, the maintenance mm. of air conditioners. And some of these leases will require tenants to maintain a, a contract with an external company and provide the landlord with a copy of these contracts, but also proof to the landlord that the air conditioners are being serviced at regular intervals, sometimes up to three, every three months, every quarter. So these things can become very onerous. Um, air conditioning is a great example of that. Um, and also um, upkeep of uh, a lessor's fit-out. So if you have to maintain the lessor's fit-out, it's a very high-end fit-out, mm. that could also be very, very costly. Um, so those are some of the, the interesting terms or the more important terms that you need to pay attention to. A really uh, a prudent clause that a lot of our tenants are putting in their leases now are um, the first option to purchase the property mm-hmm. uh, if the, the landlord decides to sell. and. Okay. That's really important um, at the moment for a lot of our uh, warehouse logistics companies because mm. a lot of this space is popular mm. and a lot of these spaces are moving further and further out from Brisbane. Yep. And so they're making sure that they've got the first right to buy the premises uh, if the landlord decides to sell. Um, and so that's a, a really important clause. It gives the tenant the option if they want to purchase the property in the future, at least give them that first right to make that decision rather than the landlord going on the market and exposing the property to, you know, all the other buyers out there. At least that tenant has security of tenure at that property. If they have the, they, they can afford the property um, and, and follow through with the purchase. And then I suppose um, another type of, of consideration is when, uh, you know, a landlord owns a small building, warehouse, um office suite, whatever, inside a much larger place where there's body corporates involved. Mm-hmm. Um, what should tenants look out for in, in those sort of structures? Mm. Um, and I suppose what protection do they have from you know, body corporate fees or, or mm. body corporate saying, mm. you know, you can't do it based on our body corporate rules, but it's not inside the lease. Or suddenly, you know, the, the two or three people that are on the floor with you certainly don't, you know, gel well with your particular business. Mm. You, you always need to read the bylaws. You need to mm. do your searches, check on the information, check on the fees that you're paying, and make sure you accept those fees because once you sign that lease, you're, you're paying those fees. Mm. And so making sure that you do get those disclosure statements, that you get all the information relevant to that property and your specific premises and what you're up to in terms of fees. Um, in terms of disputes, there's always a provision in there how disputes are handled um, and it's important to understand how disputes are handled. One thing with our client base is we, we got a lot of self-managed super funds um, and one thing that is is 
popular is the uh, owning of the premises inside the super fund and the lease back to uh, to the, the business, yeah. which is usually owned by the members. So is there anything, um, you know, with respect to leases around a self-managed super fund that's a little bit different to, to the leases anywhere else? Look, that's an interesting one because in the beginning I touched on the commercial tenancy agreements and a lot of our clients who are wanting to formalise that agreement between the self-managed super fund to say another entity will sign a, a basic agreement, a commercial tenancy agreement for a certain number of years, up to three years, uh, with very minimal special conditions. Uh, and usually have the, the term of the lease, mm-hmm. the amount you're paying, uh, commencement date, end date. So in terms of formali- formalising that agreement, uh, a commercial tenancy agreement is the agreement we go to when we draft a lease for that uh, circumstance. Terrific. Well, that's, um, uh, I guess, really uh, interesting discussion there in terms of the commercial leases and what they look at from the three sides, you know, as you say, from the corporate um, office space to the uh, to also the retail and then industrial. In terms of, I mean, your specialty and you look after property and in this particular matter, if there is people out there that are looking to set up their commercial lease agreements, um, how is the best way to get in contact with yourself and um, sort of reach out? Sure, Chris. Um, I always tell clients best ways to see me call. Give us a call. I'm sure you have our details in the podcast and that's the best way to start. Have a chat about things. We can chat about what you're planning on doing yep. right now um, and go from there. Well, it's great to, to have you on the on the show um, and obviously speaking to this matter that is probably pretty critical for businesses out there as they if they're looking to start up or, or move space. Um, so thank you very much, Dominic, for, for coming on this afternoon. And, and as always, Ian, great to, to have your insights from an accounting point of view as well. Yep, no, great. And, and thanks, Dom, Dominic, for coming along. Um, it's good to, to understand these things. Um, you know, we always talk about property. It's a big part of everybody's livelihood investment and also uh, part of their businesses. So um, I'm sure it'll be very popular amongst our um, listeners this particular topic. Thank you. Thank you so much. For business owners seeking accounting, taxation, business advisory and superannuation support and assistance, please feel free to get in contact with the advisor team at Archer Gallon Redshaw. Led by Ian Walker, Smiljan Jankovic and Valda Glynn, our firm are a Brisbane CBD-based accounting practice supporting businesses across a variety of industries throughout southeast Queensland and nationally. You can get in contact with our team via the website www.agredshaw.com.au via email at info at agredshaw.com.au or contacting 073002 2699.